Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Well, it has been a while, but we are excited to be back discussing Colonial's most recent small group material. We are going through right now, Male and Female Created He Them, uh, Mankind in the Image of God. I think this is a really important series uh, for where we are right now uh, as a culture and as a church. And for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, or the first time in a long time, I am joined in the studio, as always, by the wise, perceptive, and insightful Matt Barfield. Hey there. And by Pastor Brandon. Are we doing this again? Hello. Good to be with you. I think that I've had several people tell me that's their favorite part. No, it's well, it's interesting. That's not really true, but I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it would be. Can you just put one <laughs> positive adjective on my name? The tall. Bef- Do you want to pick it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be surprised. Do you want me to pick it? That's the brand That's a dangerous game. game. No, I also don't want that. I'll it think, has, I'll think about positive. it, and right. we'll come back so with that So tune in next week. week. Yeah, there you go. To find out there what, you go. what uh, I decide after thinking about it for a week. Um, in all seriousness, uh, we are, are going through this series, and um, we're talking about uh, gender issues. Uh, we're talking about uh, questions of, of marriage and family and humanity. So this is a really important series for our first uh, lesson we're trying to lay some of the groundwork. And so we're starting off our first lesson. Lesson one is kind of the most basic question. What is a human? Uh, when we think about humanity, when we think about mankind, what is that thing? And so uh, we're going to uh, be talking about the image of God. As we get started with the lesson, uh, begins here with an illustration uh, on uh, Charles Darwin, who uh, wrote On the Origin of Species in 1859. And really, uh, thinking through the way that book changed the way people perceived themselves, the way people perceived others, because what evolution did is it took man and it made him no longer a uh, specially created image bearer of God. And it, it, it replaced that understanding, which had been the common understanding, with the understanding that man is a highly evolved animal. And uh, not even necessarily... Uh, across the board evolved the same. Some humans may be more evolved than others. Some humans may be less evolved than others. Um, there was actually a time where they brought uh, natives from across seas and put them in zoos because, well, you know, they're less evolved than us and, and just some awful, horrible, horrible stuff. And really evolution went a long way in devalu- devaluing uh, humanity. And so as we get started, as we think about this, and we think about this great shift that happened in our culture uh, back in the, uh, in the 19th century, um, in what ways can we say that evolution has led to a devaluing of humanity? It seems to me like when you lose the designer, which is what effectively Charles Darwin did, he took the, the designer out of existence. You lose the idea of design even. So uh, everything has to be randomized. Everything has to be an accident. And when you've done that, no designer, no design, therefore no purpose. Uh, it feels like you've lost purpose when you've, when you've done this. And, and, and maybe if you even find a purpose outside of God creating all this, why did this happen? How did they, how did this get here? Um, then it's, then it's a battle of who's in charge. You know, what, mm-hmm. for, what forces now rule this thing? Is it survival of the fittest? Is it I'm strong? So I win. Is it, I have the crowd. So I win. Or is there something beyond that? Is there something uh, universal or transcendent? So, it, you know, that it's such a striking blow to get rid of the, of the designer. Uh, to worship the creator rather than the creator, uh, worship the creation rather than the creator. Uh, but that takes away purpose eventually and, and then ends up with all kinds of strange things. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote down the same thing that just robs us of a, of a purpose, and there's really no direction for us to be going, no goals to be accomplishing. And, I mean, working with young people, that, that's a question that comes up often is, a, why am I here? What am I doing? Why was I, why am I even on this planet? And uh, I think 
evolution has kind of led to something that we've talked about a lot recently. Um, it's even attributed to uh, abortion because, uh, again, a devaluing of human life, a devaluing hmm. of the image of God, a devaluing of, uh, because, again, it's just a random clump of cells that is evolving into something else, that's changing into something else, and there's a, there's a process as opposed to a, a moment of conception. Um, so one of the things that I see most often is, is just lack of purpose. It's, it really is dreadful. People are calling humans thinking thinking meat. Yeah. You know, or, or, or meat computers or yeah. things like that. Um, and and it's, it's sort of like when you've lost that, you know, what God's purpose is, well, then what, what's, what, what's the reason to say that my purpose is beneficial? I, I don't have any. I don't have a reason except that God said, I'm going to make it like this and I'm going to make it to self-propagate. I'm going to make these things to move forward towards this, 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 through this history to my end. Like that, if you don't have that, then, then you really are, are not sure that you, even your, even your desires are right. Like, how do you know? I think it's good for me. Are, are you sure? Yeah. Do you know? How, how can you know? Well, what like, is good? No, yeah. Right. No, you know, it's, absolute. And it's interesting. It leads it leads to such cultural chaos. You know, you made the the point, Matt. Is it just the strongest survival of the fittest? That would kind of be the natural conclusion if you're going to be, you know, an atheistic, naturalistic, evolutionist. Right. Well, it's survival of the fittest. And yet, what we see in our culture is that people are actually fighting for the exact opposite of that. We need to prop up the marginalized. We need mm -hmm. to prop up those who are being wow. beaten down. Which, as as a believer, that that impulse at least I I resonate with because that's the gospel. The gospel is sure. God takes those who are weak and broken down and He exalts them. But if you're coming at it from an evolutionary worldview, where do you get that? And it just it becomes uh, incoherent. It becomes chaotic. And because everybody around me is believing it, everyone goes along with it. But if you if you poke it at all, it right. really does just kind of fall apart. Right. Right. There's a lot of things that if you really took evolution to an extreme, there's a lot of things we would call that is absolutely wrong. That we refrain from doing because we have the sense of morality. Well, we say, we say it doesn't tend towards life. Like there's a general principle of tending towards life. No, I just knew that was going to come up. Oh, okay. It's like Matt's going to bring up his culture of death and culture of life. Oh, like he, I did he, not. He, he loves that. that. I just was going to say. <laughs> well, in, in which is true. In evolution. Which he ripped off from Al Mohler. In the evolutionary <laughs> idea. I didn't rip it off from <laughs> Al Mohler. I ripped it off from somebody else, I'm sure. Um, it, you know, it's, it's the, if you, if you, if you have this kind of thing where, you know, life isn't preferable in evolution, we're not special and things like us have tried to have happen before and haven't, you know, and this, mm -hmm. this evolutionary dead end happened and just, you don't even know about it and it's going to happen again later and it doesn't matter. So, so this kind of life, this conversation, this ability to process and grow and develop and build things, it's not necessarily desirable and and so it's it really is a mess it's it's hard to imagine something being more devastating at a fundamental level mm. yeah so that's uh by way of introduction but i do think that's you know that's important as we think through what is the what is the major worldview out there today and how does that contrast with what we're going to be talking about and how does why does it matter that we get this right it matters that we get this right because as we think about the purpose as we think about life as we think about all these things they really are tied back to the image of God. So as we continue on with this lesson, we're going to ask two questions. First of all, uh, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? So let's, let's describe this a little bit. And then uh, kind of a related question. Uh, what does, so then what does it mean uh, 
that we are in the image of God. So we'll talk about applying the image of God. So the description and the application. The description of the image of God we find uh, primarily in Genesis 1, uh, verses 26 through 28. I'll just go ahead and read those. Uh, It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing uh, that moveth upon the earth." So we're going to um, look at the image of God in the Old Testament, and then we're going to look at the image of God uh, in the New Testament, look at, briefly at, at men and women in, created in the image of God. And so there's, there's a really big discussion uh, that's happening uh, in academic circles about, okay, what exactly is the image of God? Uh, whole books have been written on this topic. Uh, journal articles have been written uh, trying to pin down what exactly does it mean that man is created in the image of God. Uh, they even go so far as to hyperanalyze the prepositions that are used before that were made in his image and after his likeness. Is there a distinction? Um, and so I've, I've read a lot of that. I've studied that. And I think I come to the end of, of that study and I would say, I, I think we're mistaken to say that there is necessarily one aspect of humanity that reflects the image of God because I don't see scripture necessarily limiting it to one specific aspect. And so it seems to be left uh, with some ambiguity there. Uh, the, the best description we have of it is Genesis 5.1. It says, uh, This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man, and the likeness of God create, uh, made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Now this is really interesting, this next verse. It says, And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image, and he called his name Seth. So Seth is in the likeness and image of Adam. Adam is in the likeness and image of God. So man reflects God like a father reflects a son. So the question that I have is, in what ways do sons reflect their fathers? I mean, this morning I was walking my son down the hallway and he just said, my teacher was telling me that uh, I I walk differently than everybody else. And my teacher told me that I walk like my dad. I walk Mm -hmm. like you. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I've never even really paid attention. I was like, do I walk funny? Um, <laughs> and just uh, in different ways like that, the way, I mean, if you hear me and my my brother talk, I mean, we're almost, you could mistake us on the phone for, for one another because we've brought that from my dad. And just, I, I think our worldview was shaped heavily by our fathers. And I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And sometimes people rebel against that and kick against that. But um, just in the way that we look, often my, I'm told, your daughter looks exactly like you. Mm-hmm. And so obviously she's not a spitting image of me, identical, but pe- it reminds them of, of me and me and my wife. What you just mentioned about Adam and his son being in his image and his likeness, you have this motion from God to Adam to Seth. Mm-hmm. And the exact, it just now occurred to me, in the chronology of Jesus' birth, mm. you have the opposite as they work backwards to Adam. Mm. And they say, who was the son of Adam? Who was the son of God? Right? So it yeah. moves it moves the other way. So, mm. so that I then thought about that in this context of image of God, but that is very interesting. Uh, it's, it's remarkable how much uh, sons or ch- children reflect their parents and become our opportunity to move into the future. And, and, and when you think about this realm and what God intends for us to do in this earth, we are, we are his representatives. We're, we're sent to go be like him in these places and at these times in these arenas 
and to bring something of him, his truth, his light, his life into this world. And so our kids do that. Our kids are the way we travel in time. Our kids are the way that we move forward in time. Pieces of us move forward. My, my, my father says he's been buried now for uh, over three years, and, and there's still things that I do that are, it's him. Huh. It's him coming through me, and, and my kids have some of those things too. Last night I was listening to Leo. He was recording something, and, uh, and he goes, uh, I'm listening to him recording this thing for a class he's doing online, and I'm like, man, that sounds like me. Mm-hmm. That's my voice. It sounds like the way I would say this. He's, it's a Spanish class. We're so speaking in Spanish. I'm like, that's how I speak Spanish. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it, I, sorry, I had to jump in. I, as you were talking, I just remember my dad saying to me many times as he was sending us out to go somewhere, I was going to a friend's house. He's like, remember, you bear my name. Mm. And I, I remember the weight of that, like, Okay, I, I represent my dad. That's I'm, good. I'm, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> I, I'm supposed to represent it's the, true. the values that yeah. he's instilled in me. And again, when you take that step back, I, I bear God's image. And yeah. that, mm-hmm. that's, a big, that's a big weighty thing, and I cannot forget that I bear God's image. And I'm supposed to remind people of who God is. Your dad's a little nicer than mine uh, than I am. I told my kids, I said, we're going to know these people for the rest of our lives, so don't make our names stink. <laughs> that's the way. I was a little more aggressive, maybe. <laughs> you know, we you mentioned this idea of we represent God. And um, one of the things that's kind of interesting, I didn't get into this because there's always more you could get into, but sure. when we talk about the dominion mandate mm-hmm. and man is meant to to rule over the earth, one of the, you know, they've done all kinds of studies with the comparative literature. So they go and they study what are the Egyptians and the Canaanites and the people around Israel, how did they think? And one of the things that we've seen is, that kings would often set up a statue of themselves, an image of themselves in an area where they were ruling, and that was representing them and their rule in that place. So it was it was a symbol that the king was present there because his image was there. And that, you know, I, I don't know that you can necessarily draw one-to-one correspondence, but there does seem to be this connection in Scripture between we are the image of God and we are the ones who are reflecting him mm-hmm. and ruling over this creation on his behalf. Um, it's our job to, to image him, to, to reflect him. And so, I don't know, I, I thought that was yeah, it's very good. kind of interesting. I like, I like that idea. So, yeah. Um, well, good. What are some ways then that man reflects God? And uh, this is where some people try and really nail it down in one or another. I kind of am a big tent guy, and I say any, you know, what what part of man is the image of God? All of man is the image of God. So, Anytime we can draw a legitimate connection between God and humanity, that is a, another way in which man reflects God. Again, some will try and limit it to one or the other. I don't, I don't see in Scripture where it's limited to one or the other. It's just kind of stated man is the image of God. So um, what are some ways that man reflects God? Well, I've been in, I've been in places, and, and I think you found this compelling myself a little bit, in that our structure of body, soul, and spirit somehow reflects God's tripartite nature. Um, but you know, when you talk, you know, this big tent idea of no man's just God's image. And, and, and I think what's interesting about this whole concept is what is not God's image. So, Mm. so animals are not God's image. That's pretty clear. I think you and I discussed many months ago about whether angels were in God's image and you tended to think yes. Yeah. And I tended to think no at the time. And, and I think even going through that kind of helps. Uh, find similarities, find purpose, find, you know, what is it that angels are doing? What are we doing? Where's their overlap? You do your little Venn diagram and you got mm-hmm, a shaded mm-hmm. area. So now you're ending up with things that maybe are that you certainly, you know, what do animals and humans share? Well, they don't share God's image. Mm-hmm. So whatever you put in that circle what differentiates us from, right. 
Right. So, yeah. so the things, the things about us that we could say are, this is, this is like animal. Okay. So respiration, procreation, you know, whatever those things are, that's going to be not, I think that would say, okay, yeah. let's, let's exclude those things from image of God talk. And then what are the things of us that we maybe share in common with angels? Okay. So let's say that's then that's now we're getting, maybe we're getting somewhere with that. Mm-hmm. I think I need to draw a Venn diagram. A Venn diagram. Yeah, so people, angels, God, animals, right. And trying to, to think through That's an, that's an interesting exercise. Yeah, I mean, I've read, as you have, hundreds of pages on this in theology books and seminary classes, and there's long lists. And I think the, the two that kind of come to the forefront of my mind are just um, what he mentioned, what Matt mentioned as well, just this, our, we're spiritual. And also there's a spiritual aspect to us that will last forever. So some of that eternality, obviously not eternity past, but eternity future. Sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live somewhere forever, and animals don't don't have that. <laughs> um, and... Uh, that I'm I'm relational and I can have a relationship with God. I can have a relationship with other people. The intellect comes into play. I think you put it in here as, as well. Um, but I, I think just that eternal aspect kind of stands out to me. And there's lots of other ones that that are applicable. But uh, I tell our youth group often: there's two things that are going to last forever that you need to invest in: people and God's word. And um, they they tie together. Obviously, relationship mm-hmm. with God comes from His word. Yeah, we were talking about this at our our small group and somebody made, I thought a really interesting observation. They said, you know, God is somebody who, who makes judgments about things. And, uh, you know, all through Genesis one, we see that it was good. It was good. It was good. And he said that mm-hmm. we as people, you know, one of them there is, is more that I put, I put intellect relationships, morality, those kind of seem to be some of the big three categories again, that would distinguish us from animals. Our intellect is not just, we're not like, smart like dogs, just more advanced. There's a different level of intelligence. Dogs don't compose poetry. Um, you know, our relationships, again, sorry to all the pet lovers out there, but the relationship that you have with another person is not the same as the relationship you have with your dog. Not that you'd know that walking down downtown Carmel. No, and um, it needs to be stated because, you know, there are people today who don't understand the morality of the image of God. And if they saw, this is a question asked by Dennis Prager, I think, if you saw a stranger drowning and your pet drowning, hmm. which one would you save? Who would you save? And increasingly the answer would become my own pet first. Um, just because they love the pet and they, they, they have this connection to the pet. It's wrapped up in them. Right. Brittany, went to, a, world. Brittany went to a coffee shop and I uh, was getting a coffee and they had something there. She was taking Kaylin on like a little mommy-daughter uh, date and the coffee shop said, you know, it was like, we love our pets and we love yours too. And they had a picture of all the staff with pets and their, their, their animals. And then they said, you know, free doggy treat on us. And Brittany just, you know, it's, it's a trendy coffee shop. So it's, it's, it's appealing towards the younger millennials. And she thought, well, it'd be, be really nice if like they had a little free lemonade for my daughter, (laughs) but that's not their clientele. They know their clientele has dogs. And so, Hey, let's, let's appeal to that. They don't don't want you bringing your kid in there. (laughs) They would would much rather you bring your dog in there than your kid. That's for sure. Uh, That's funny. Um, it is, it is sad. And so, um, but they, th- this person made the observation that God is, God makes judgments about things. And we kind of talked a little bit, you know, philosophers will discuss the good, the true, and the beautiful. And there's something about that, which resonates with us that we're able to determine this is beautiful. This is ugly. Um, and there's some element of subjectivity in there where not every culture finds everything beautiful the same, but there's also something objective in there where nobody looks at a trash dump and says, wow, that's beautiful. And really, postmodern art is is pushing back against that and saying, no, there is no such thing as beauty. It's all it's all subjective. 
I could have a, you know, here's this picture of a paint splotch that's been thrown against the wall. That's beautiful. It's beautiful to me. Therefore it's beautiful. And, you know, even regular people look at that and say, no, that's, that's not beautiful. Right. Um, and so even that we're created with this sense and this capacity for goodness and beauty and truth, I think corresponds to the image of God. I was in the St. Louis museum of art and I wanted to go to the, to that because there's a great exhibit exhibit there of the Dutch masters, which is my favorite. And, uh, here I'm looking at this incredible masterpiece and it's 400 years old, right? The next room over is modern stuff is literally a pile of trash. Right? Mm-hmm. They just, they cube trash. I could tell you where that's going to be in 400 years. It's going to be in the trash. <laughs> well, as we're sitting there saying this, I just, again, thought, and then I, I look down on modern art because I could do that. Mm-hmm. I can replicate that. Sure. And to me, it's not beautiful. I'm like, anybody can do that. But if I see no a skill. painting, this summer I was at the Sistine Chapel and I looked up and I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. Like, oh, there's some sense of awe there. And I think when we look at what God has created, there ought to be some sense of, I can't, I can't replicate this. Right. And then that flows down to when people are unique and that you see their, the beauty of what they've created. But I, now it's just, hey, I, I literally saw a bike handlebar hanging from a string in a modern art museum. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's trash. Beauty, yeah. beauty though, is durative. It, it endures a long time. And, and that goes back, I think, to the image of God as well. Here, with all that's going on, as bad as things have been and will be, this image is enduring. It's still there. Yeah. So we'll move on. We'll talk next about men and women in the image of God. Oh, I was hoping you'd skip that one. Oh, boy. I just felt uncomfortable. I just felt like, oh, no, we're going to say something that makes somebody angry. Oh, well, that's what we're all about here is making people angry. Uh, boldly going where pastors fear to tread. We'd like to refer you to Pastor's uh, Sermon Podcast from last Sunday night. Just go ahead and listen to that. It was really good. Yeah. So as we, um, as we uh, talk about uh, men and women in the image of God, uh, it's important to, God clarifies when he creates men and women that both are the image of God. So it says, right. let us make man in our image. And you may read that and think, oh, so men are in the image of God. Oh. But he, he clarifies. He says, um, uh, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So men and women are created in the image of God. And the observation has been made before, and I think it's legitimate, that there are certain things that men reflect about the image of God more, and there are certain things that women reflect about the image of God more, and that between the two of them, there's a fuller and more complete understanding of who God is. So what are some of the things that men reflect, and what are some of the things that women reflect about the character of God? Are we stereotyping here? Yeah, so this is the problem with this, right? (laughs) Like, I'm going to mention some things I think are great about men, Mm -hmm. and the women are like, oh, wait, that's great about us, too. (laughs) Like, don't don't take that from us. Yeah. (laughs) So I will say that we're speaking speaking in terms of generalities here, Sure. obviously, and I think everyone would realize that. And that's not to say that these things are not necessarily true of men or not necessarily true of women, but that is a general tendency uh, there, do, there, there are differences, and I honestly, I've had that thought about this whole series because yeah. just wait till we get to the lessons on biblical masculinity and yeah, femininity for sure. And I think there is a challenge between, or, or a challenge of I want to define masculinity in a in a broad enough way um, and a narrow enough way that I'm including all of men, and that I'm not necessarily excluding women or saying that these are not characteristics that also ought to be true of women. So we'll just take one. You know, courage is often one. Uh, that's associated with masculinity. Well, well, women can be courageous too. Sure, right. but they're but again, we're talking in terms of generalities. Uh, men and women are different, and yeah. so we have to just we have to be willing to say men and women are different. 
uh, each man is different from each other man. And some men are, um, you know, have stronger strengths and some women have stronger strengths. And, but as we look at as a whole, what are some things about men that tend to be the case and how does that reflect God? And what are some things about women that tend to be the case and how does that reflect God? I kind of have this complementary view in which I, I look at men at their best and I see this, you know, I think men have this drive, this drive to see a goal, get there, do it. Uh, that's that's one of the good things about men. Men tend to be able to find things that don't yet exist and and push towards that thing and make it happen. Uh, women, one of the great things about women is their ability to uh, to create this web of safety <laughs> and women are really good at, at providing balance and making sure the whole group is healthy and all these kinds of things. Each left to their own can't nearly accomplish what they can do if they're together. So you have this, this masculine leadership that's pushing towards an objective. You have this feminine care that's making sure everybody gets there. It's, it's really wonderful when either one of those is separated from the other then you tend towards these pools of misery in which men drive with heedless of anything to these, to their end, to their doom and where women uh, can, can get stuck in this morass of their own making uh, this, this sop of, of self care or a group care in which nobody really is doing much of anything. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of my big picture way of I, how I look at it. But like I said, I probably offended some of our audience. <laughs> well, maybe to kind of clarify what you just said, let me ask you a question. Are you thinking more like men tend to be more drivers while women tend to be more maintainers? There you go. And so they can hold together what the men are driving forward, whereas the men would drive so hard it would fall apart. Right. And yeah, I, I see that in play in my own family. I mean, my kids come to me for certain things and they go to my wife for certain things. And typically when they're looking for nurturing, they don't always come to me <laughs> because I'm like, nope, this is how it is. Let's move on. Aaron, and stop crying. Look at my eyes. You don't need to be crying right now. Stop. Stop crying. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I mean, uh, all of those things, I think when you allow it to be broken, they can become weaknesses. Sure. If that makes sense. So like, uh, I think a, a good picture of God is uh, typically a man is going to be lean more towards the side of protecting. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, a woman is going to be more towards the nurturing and gentle. But if I, if I'm just being harsh and I'm, as I'm reading books on masculinity and studying out in scripture, like I think gentleness is a big aspect of masculinity that we met. I can tend to miss. We were in Amman, Jordan walking one evening near our church. It's a little bit dark. I'm walking with Krista. She's expectant. So she has a baby. She has John in a baby carrier uh, in the front and she has Josiah's hand. As we're walking down the street, this big dog jumps out of this gate and is just barking at us, okay? So in that moment, what you just described completely happened. I turned to the dog. I try to make myself as big as imposing as I can. And she grabbed and the I, kids. She picked up, she picked up Saya. She's got John in the carrier and the baby's in her belly. And she's running down the street. And, I, and you're punching and a I, dog. And I'm like, I'm like scaring the dog away. The dog runs away. I look back expecting her to find her behind me. Like, you know, where I can protect them. I'm like, honey, you got to stay closer if I'm going to protect you from this. And it, we hadn't thought about that or planned it. It just right. was completely, it just happens. completely mm -hmm. instinctive yep. for and, all of us to do that. And God does both of those things for us. Yeah, yeah. for sure yeah. he does. I mean, you see both of those in the Psalms. Yeah. So That's true. Yeah. A protector, defender. Yeah, yeah. And really, that's what brings out what, you, what Pastor was yeah. preaching Comforter. about Sunday night and, and how... How beautiful are these roles when they're done the way the Bible mm -hmm. describes them? They're they're really, really good. I was thinking about 
about how th- those roles that the pastor was talking about Sunday night really hit at how the truth of God's word is for everybody. If you, if you, if you don't live life with these things, mm-hmm. you're missing out on what's supposed to happen. This is what's, this is how we're made. We're made for this. Right. If I, if I build a chair and it looks great, I, I mean, one of my hobbies is woodworking, but then you go to sit down in it. And the first thing that happens is it, it breaks. My design is flawed. Right. So True. if, and it highlights the brokenness of, uh, of that chair. And if I don't accomplish what God has set out for me to accomplish, I'm not moving forward in purpose. Mm-hmm. Obviously we're going to be talking about these issues quite a bit in the coming weeks. One of the thoughts that I've had, keep your powder dry. <laughs> That's what Ben's saying. Save some for the next podcast. Well, so <laughs> we'll come back to this a lot, but one of the thoughts that I've had since we're into it now is, you know, I've, I've taught this, I've taught this in apologetics and you can tell that, you know, there's some people that even in our circles hear this and they're like, mm, I don't know about that. And it, and it hit me. I, I, I challenged the young people with this and we're going to be challenged with it as well. We need to not only like begrudgingly accept what God has said about the differences between men and women. We need to understand what they are and we need to joyfully embrace them because we believe that this is the path, not to, to bondage, but to freedom. So what Satan wants to say is, you know, God is trying to, to, or, or maybe not even God, the preacher or the Bible or that misinterpretation, you know, that's trying to limit you. It's trying to say that you are this thing. Um, whether you're a man, typically it's, it's more, uh, with the women, but you know, that this is, this is going to limit you. This is going to leave you, you know, you're going to be unfulfilled. You're going to have unfulfilled desires, unfulfilled expectations. And really what we will find as we go through this and what people have found is that when they say, okay, Lord, you're the boss, I'm just going to do what your word says. If your word says this, that doesn't make sense to me, but I'm in faith going to respond to that, that, that actually leads to greater freedom. And it allows us, going back to Brandon's design analogy, it allows us to fulfill the design that we're made for. And we realize, oh, wow, uh, God knows better than I do. And that's not to say that it hasn't been twisted and abused. And there have been instances where, right. you know, this this discussion has, has been used as a club for, particularly for women. And we want to be careful to avoid that and ask, okay, are we really understanding what scripture has to say? Or are we allowing our own cultural or, you know, personal background to, to color that? But when we come away and say, no, this is what God's word says, these are the differences and this, this matters, we then, want to, we then need to make sure that we're joyfully embracing that because as we do, that's going to lead to greater fullness and joy. Well, and freedom. Even as you were just talking, I mean, I literally was thinking about that and I had this sigh of relief almost because I'm like, I don't have to do everything. And I think there's so many in our world who are trying to do everything by themselves that it's overwhelming. And I don't have, there's certain things in my family that I don't have to worry about because I know because of my solid relationship with my wife, I don't have to, and she's going to joyfully take care of it. There's certain mm-hmm. things she doesn't worry about. And then there's things I just trust God with and put it in his hands. And that takes a lot of burden off of my shoulders where I'm not trying to be everything at all times. Men are free to be men and women yes. are free to be women. Yep. And we don't have both trying to be some kind of unisex that... The world puts out and says everybody's the same. Mm-hmm. Men are the same. Women are the same. Anything a man can do, a woman can do. Anything a woman can do, a man can do. And that's just, you know, not what we see in Scripture. You've never so. seen me try to accomplish a lot of the things my wife has accomplished, and it stinks. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we'll go ahead, and uh, we're kind of running out of time here, so we'll wrap this up. There's a section here on the image of God in the New Testament, and we don't really have a whole lot of time to go through that, so we're going to skip that. There's some verses there. We'll be coming back to them. Uh, throughout the 
course of the series and talking about them. So uh, we'll talk briefly about the application of the image of God. And the application really comes down twofold. Number one, we have special value because we are made in the image of God. I should say people have special value. And then uh, secondly, we see that we have a special calling because we're made in the image of God. So we have special value. Uh, first, individually, um, how should a right uh, thinking about the image of God influence somebody's uh, self-worth, as to use the, the language of the world today? Well, you know, we got God's purpose that brought us about in the first place. And, you know, I can't lightly treat his purpose or his reflection of the reflection of his image in me. And so it's going to make me value it because it's him and not because it's just me, but it's, I'm going to find my worth in him. Yeah, I think um, I've got to just always focus as a Christian to think about myself and view myself as God views me and uh, not more highly than I ought to think, not exclude myself from ministry, 1 Corinthians 12, that, hey, I, God has not given me the gifts that other people have. So I've got to view myself as God's, God views me. Um and find value there that, hey, my value is for this higher purpose of glorifying God and giving a right reflection of him. Um, I, I think you asked the question, why do you think the world spends so much time on an individual seeking to affirm self-worth? And I think there is this search for fulfillment. And when you don't live according to God's design, it feels broken um, to a certain extent. There's a desire for security um, and this innate sense of bigger bigger purpose. People love to be associated with things that are bigger than themselves. Um, so I'll kind of throw it back to you because I think I've veered a, a little bit from your initial question, but all, all of those things uh, are are big in my thinking. And even with, it comes up all the time with, with teenagers. Um, you have to learn to love yourself before you can love other people. Well, the Bible actually assumes that I already love myself too much. <laughs> no man yet hates his own flesh. Love others as you love yourself. I naturally sacrifice others for my good but I've got to learn to sacrifice myself for others' good. And we, we flip that on its head a lot. Well, it's not very flattering to be a, a, a meat machine, a thinking meat no. machine, you know, and that's, that's the evolutionary view. And so as I've kind of observed this, what seems to happen is people know that they're made for more because they are made in the image of God. Yeah. And so they go out seeking for that meaning. And the answer of the world is really twofold. Uh, number one, you have value because you have value. Okay. Well, why? Well, because you have value. You have value. Don't you know you have value? And they don't actually give a reason. And the only reason that they can really even come up with uh, when they do try and give a reason is your individuality. Nobody else is like you. Right, but nobody else is, no other dog is like my dog. That doesn't, you know, how does, so how am I different than a dog? And uh, if I'm just a, a an advanced animal, um, then there's really no value there. And so you can listen to the answers, which are basically screaming at yourself, you have value. Mm -hmm. But you know deep down that's that's not going to cut it. And so there's this hopelessness, this purposelessness, and the only solution is I have value because I am created in the image of God, and he loves me and sent his son to redeem me and wants to partner with me in the redemption of this world. What greater purpose could I have? I think one it just came to mind as thinking about parenting and teens and, and um, you know, the fact that, that sons, daughters, children are image bearers of their parents – we're image bearers of, of God who created us. Um, there's tension in a family when what a teen values about himself or herself isn't what the parent values. Mm. So the parent's thinking about the future, and and often the child's thinking about the now. Mm -hmm. um, the I'm not popular, and your parents are like, yeah, the, but you've got really good grades. You're going to do right, fine. Right, right. The parent's thinking about what's going to happen, 
And I, and so, so there's, there's that conflict that I think many of us would understand at some level. Um, I think of myself growing up, the things I thought were cool about me, uh, <laughs> there's things that I don't even, they, they don't even exist anymore. Right? <laughs> right. But the things that my parents thought were cool about me are, are growing and, and, and becoming more and more and more into the future. When we don't think the same thing about ourselves as God thinks about us, the things about us that he Hmm. notices as good and and valuable and worthy and and something that's going to make something in the future that that's oh. what i should be excited about those are the things that i should you don't have to worry about self-worth if if you are acknowledging what god says is valuable and worthy and 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 going to be very good and and make more and more and, and develop um it's when we, we run into this problem when i'm saying well i god likes that about me and and i, and I like this Mm. And they're not the same, and it's like a it's like a teenager parent conflict, mm. um, in which you're you're aware enough to notice there's a difference, but you're immature, selfish, self centered, temporarily thinking. You know, focus on the temporal. Um, you have those kinds of things, and so now your self worth is all messed up because you 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 you're you're focusing on the conflict between what you value and what God values, and and the happiness comes when when we yield to God and say. You're right, and I'm going to value what you say about me. Well, that's really good. I think on that note, we'll end the section on value. The other thing um, that we could just talk about uh, briefly, which <laughs> is really the main point of the image of God in Scripture, is that we should treat other people because they're well because they're made in the image of God. Um, earlier on in the lesson, I used the illustration of uh, self-portrait. You know, in, in many ways, we are a self-portrait of God. Now, if I was to make a self-portrait of myself, that portrait is not me. I'm distinct from that, right. but that represents me in a very significant way. And if you came and started doodling all over it and crossing out my eyes and, you know, you, you would be, you would be attacking, not just my self portrait, you would be mocking and making fun of, and maybe even expressing anger or hatred against me. And so God looks at it the same way when we attack or um, kill according to Genesis nine or mock according to James three, someone who's made in the image of God, we are lashing out against uh, the image of God. And so I think we'll, I think because of time, we'll go ahead and, and wrap it up there. Uh, the last point here was that we have a special calling. We're going to talk about that next week when we look at the Dominion Mandate. And so cool. Um, remember, uh, the notes for these lessons are available on our website, colonialindy.org. Uh, there's a link in the description, assuming I remember to put it there when I upload this episode. So um, if you don't see it there, just, and you know me, shoot me a text. And <laughs> if, if not, you can uh, go ahead and see it there. This Sunday, we're going to be discussing as I mentioned, the dominion mandate, which is found specifically in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, as well as uh, Genesis 2, 15. Um, and you can find those notes online. If nothing else, I would encourage you to read those verses, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, Genesis 2, 15. And I ask yourselves uh, this question, what did it mean for man to have dominion or to rule over creation? And then in what ways has God called us today to rule over his creation you may also want to read Psalm 8. That's another chapter we're going to be looking at and considering how this psalm informs the way we think about the dominion mandate, about what kind of light it sheds on Genesis. So join us Sunday as we dig into these ideas together. And if you're not able to join us Sunday, we hope to see you back here next week for the Colonial Hills podcast. See, see you then. See you. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.